more on Halo Talks NYC, I have the pleasure of having Julian Barnes with me today, who we've been operating in concentric circles in New York City in the fitness industry for over 20 years, a graduate of Tufts University. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Pete. Thanks for having me. Sure. Um, so Julian's got a great background. Um, you know, went to Tufts uh, with, with Kerry Glassman, who's uh, one of our uh, portfolio company CEOs, uh, and then uh, got a law degree at, uh, at UNC. Uh, and then uh, why don't you pick it up from there and uh, talk about how you're helping make sure entrepreneurs in the halo sector are uh, going to become successful businesses. Well, let's go back before Tufts and before UNC. I was a competitive tennis player as a kid for sport. And I'm the, my mother was the chairwoman of the board of the YWCA in White Plains in the 80s. Oh, wow. My father was one of the executives working at ABC who helped by ESPN. So I, you know that saying that the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? Sure, sure. I had no choice but to get into a media-based business involving physical fitness because that's what both my parents do collectively. Gotcha. So when I got, when I left Chapel Hill, when I was at Chapel Hill, I got certified as a tennis instructor. That's important because when I got to New York and I'm practicing corporate law at uh, Merrill Lynch and Cadwallader for a couple of years, I got recruited by the United States Tennis Association to join some of their national committees, including their investment committee from 2002 to 2006, managing their portfolio. So then I also got recruited by New York University to develop their first institute in entrepreneurship and small business management back in 2003. Then I start, I started a business development company working with a lot of small businesses in New York City, and I decided I want to get back into the wellness space. And so I became the director of marketing for Velocity Sports Performance oh, up, sure. up on uh, 58th Street Park and Lex. So that was mid-2008, 2009, and I realized there was a much bigger opportunity than working with one operating company. I wanted to create a platform to work with a much larger number of operators and, and help them do their jobs better. Fast forward, before you know it, I'm producing over 100 wellness uh, networking events throughout New York City for fitness and wellness professionals from 2000, 2012 to 2017. And during that time, I had the opportunity of attending most of the major trade shows, URSA, uh, IDEA, uh, Club Industry, ECA in New York City, uh, STW, I was a presenter at, presenter at ECA. And what I realized, two things were happening. As I'm talking to a lot of oh, those networking events I mentioned mm -hmm. were almost always held at boutique studios. Yoga studios hosted us, Pilates studios hosted us. So for the last four or five years, I've been talking to studio owners just general chit chat as I'm going in and out of our networking events and I'm attending these national trade shows and it all started coming together. There was something missing. Mm -hmm. You know, there was no, there was no organization that was producing business management educational conferences on the East coast that were uh, easily accessible for the fastest growing segment of the fitness community. Mm -hmm. According to Ursa, boutique studios are now 45% of the segment. So my business partner, NT, ETUC and I recognized there was an opportunity to produce something called the Boutique Fitness Summit, which is what we did last year, the first two ever in New York and DC. And the focus of the summit is to provide proven business solutions to studio owners and operators in a one day intensive format, focusing on operators on the East Coast. And we think that's critically important because the three day events 
on the West Coast are not really practical for most of the owners and operators in the boutique space who tend to be, not 10, MindBody says 75% of their, of their members are women. That's consistent with my experience with, with studios that don't use MindBody. So if you have an audience of 75% women and more than half of them are moms, and most of them are running uh, independent studios, mm-hmm. they're going to take three days off and fly out to the West Coast? Seems like they're not making it to Ursa yeah, in San Diego this year. They're probably not. Probably so, not. so that's why it was important for us to do something uh, on the East Coast. So when, when we were in New York last year, we marketed throughout the tri-state area. And yet we had people from 10 different states and three countries. Three, three women from Brazil flew in to New York for our inaugural event. So by being in New York, we can take care of the Northeast, make it easy for people to get to in one day and then get home and get back to their families, get back to the studios. Our second event was in D.C. And we had people coming from as far away as California and Chicago and Texas and Florida for the D.C. summit. And this year we'll produce three summits in New York, D.C. and Chicago, but they're all one day summits, which, again, makes it an intense environment. Uh, makes it easy for people to get to. We're not asking people to take off more than a day from their family and from their studios. And that means we're, we have a different audience of people coming to our summits than the people who typically attend the larger trade shows. So um, that's great. And I, there's definitely a, a void in the market. And I think uh, a lot of studio operators need to get outside of their studio to actually take a look around and see what's going on and also understand best practices. And historically, in other industries, there's a lot of education. There's a lot of training. When I was at Chase Manhattan Bank, we had a 14-week training program before you could actually, you know, work on any deals. You know, going to get an MBA or going to get a, you know, a, a law degree, you know, you've got a lot of case studies and you're learning. And I feel like this industry... Uh, they hire someone and they kind of throw them right into the fire and think it's like an apprenticeship business. And the reality is there's a lot of work that you can do on a continuing education basis as well as kind of prepping yourself. And that's some of the things that that we're doing. Um, but I do think that there's a lot for people to learn by understanding who the best in class vendors are, how to run these businesses. And if you're an entrepreneur, it's you, you kind of live on a, a very lonely island. So I think part of it might be also like a community pep up and, you know, community and then uh, almost like group therapy to make sure like, hey, you know, you're still winning. Absolutely. And uh, you might not know it, but, you, but you're making progress. So as you as you think about some of the, the clients that you've had over the years and you think about what people are taking away from the networking events. What do you see as like the top three flaws or, or things that people need to work on that they're not focused on, you know, running a, whether it's a one or two or three boutique studio, like what, what are they typically missing? Well, I think you said it best that most of these owners and operators are running one or two studios at most. And the overwhelming majority of them are running one. Most of them are teaching too much which means they're not devoting enough time to thinking about how to run the business and they're teaching too much out of necessity. So there's a double-edged sword. How do you pull back from being in your business when you really can't afford to hire a general manager to run your business? So so that's a challenge uh, that they all face and it just requires them grinding away. There are no shortcuts. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to, you have to clearly identify your brand, your what you stand for, 
Uh, so I, I don't mean your brand identity and your logo. I mean, what makes your studio special, unique, and extraordinary? How is your studio distinct from other studios? Uh, one of our presenters coming up at the Boutique Fitness Summit in New York is a woman named Amy Glosser, who's the founder of Bikeland. And it's Shagan. She's the founder of a studio called Bikelin, B-Y-K-L-Y-N, like Brooklyn, okay. but uh, gotcha. Bikelin. Okay. And it's about uh, it's about a seven minute walk from the Barclays Center downtown, downtown uh, Brooklyn. And when she first opened up, she was the only studio on the block. Mm-hmm. Two years later, SOT is on the block, Orange Theory is on the block, and um, another national. I can't think of the name of it. So she's got three national competitors on her block. Mm-hmm. Most people would have predicted that she would have gone away. Mm-hmm. She's thriving. Why is she thriving? Because she knows her market. She knows her audience. She knows the people that are going to SOT and to Orange Theory and not the people who are coming to her studio because she's really clear on who she is, what her what her uh, message is, what her brand is, and who her people are. So yeah, one of, one of the notes I had down here was to ask you, like, um, you know, when you, when you go in and assess a location, you know, we kind of say, like, what's your DNA? Absolutely. Like, what do you stand for? What, why is this different? You know, you see a lot of boutique studios right now going in with two, three, four, five different rooms, and they're basically almost creating, like, a food court. And when they do it under their own brand, the question is, like, all right, the, the idea of going to a boutique studio is because I want a higher end experience. I want an awesome instructor, and I want to be part of this community. I, I use the phrase for "guided it. instruction." Guided. They want guided instruction from someone who knows better than they do about how the body moves. They want most of the people who are going to boutique studios are Type A personalities who are used to getting what they want when they want it. They're mm-hmm. they're living a world of Uber and Instacart and. Um, Fresh Direct. Fresh Direct. What else and the meal Netflix, pa- maybe. Next, right. They're on, on demand. <laughs> everything's everything's on, demand. on demand. Everything. So the one thing that they like to do is turn off their brain for that hour of guided instruction. Let someone who knows more than they do lead them. And now you combine that with community. My friends are doing it. That's a really powerful thing. That, ex- to me, explains why boutiques are the fastest rising segment of the, of the mm. fitness sector. But back to your original question, what are these studios not doing well? Number one is being really clear about their brand. Number two is managing their staff and their instructors is the number two challenge that mm-hmm. studios often share with us. Number one is always marketing, customer right. acquisition. Mm-hmm. Number two is managing their staff and instructors. I had someone, I was at, um, at an event two days ago hosted by MindBody. They had a hundred of their of their studios uh, at this event. And I was talking to the founder of, uh, of a cycling studio and she said her biggest challenge is finding talent, mm-hmm. finding and keeping instructors, quality instructors. The number one request I received from studio owners for the last three years is assistance finding general managers. I'm always asked, do you know someone who's a good general manager? Yeah. And so that's, that's a challenge. So yeah, we're, uh, we're actually wor- looking at a deal right now where, um, there's an entrepreneur who's basically trying to aggregate all of the Division One athletes and having them almost like on a private LinkedIn and connected with companies in the Halo sector, Amazon, Apple, some of the bigger, bigger players to try and get those types of type A personalities and those people that are physically fit and that come from a you know, very high-end sports training to come into the sector because we, we hear that all the time and we're helping people on the executive search side, but like there's a huge market for 
uh, instructors. The one other thing I wanted uh, to to ask you about while we're on the subject, and, and you and you talked about marketing as as the number one issue. Number one issue. Um, you know, we've I've been working in the industry now for twenty years, and the most successful businesses, whether they're they're boutiques or whether they're health clubs, is always the pre-sale. And you know, Orange Theory has has nailed it. Those guys came out of the health club industry, came out of Massage MB, and they're you're pro, you're actually prohibited from opening until you have 300 members ready to be billed, and they spend like fifty thousand dollars, you know, before they open uh, as a minimum on marketing to get that that 300 number. So when you think about someone coming to you and saying, "Hey, I'm going to open up this studio," or "I opened up this studio," and um, We've we've been a party and an investor in some of these groups that are spending you know two three hundred dollars a month on marketing or five hundred a month on marketing. It's not enough. You, yeah, and then you look at like a health club chain and you're they're spending like five ten grand a month and they realize that that's an investment in their revenue and it's not a, an advertising expense. It's not you're not expense. You're not spending. You're investing to make sure you get the revenue. So when when you see you know diagnose a, a studio like that. And I feel like it's kind of a a downward spiral. It's like, okay, I don't have enough members. I don't have the capital. So I'm going to go, you know, start tapping the class pass. And then, you know, now my my rates are going down. Now I'm fighting against my own membership. And you're killing your community. So the number one, what you're describing is is the result of this situation. This industry has probably three segments to it. Let's call them... 80% 80% of the fitness stu- of the boutique fitness studios fall into the lifestyle phase. People who do this because they're passionate about, about uh, fitness and wellness. From, from an ownership from standpoint. From an ownership yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Right. They're former trainers, dancers, athletes who had an opportunity to open up a studio. A client said, if you, if you go out solo, I'll back you. That yep, that's thing. like the, the, the easiest way to get capital for exactly. most of these studios. But they're, and so they're not business people. Mm-hmm. Typically, they haven't um, worked in corporate America for 20 years. They're just passionate about helping people live healthy lives. Mm-hmm. And most of them don't know what they don't know. And, and they'll tell you five or 10 years in that they were they were stunned with what they didn't know about the business of running a business. So mm-hmm. the question about how much are you investing when you're opening up your first studio is largely a function of, people not knowing what they should be doing and not properly capitalizing a business before they start. Right. And once you start undercapitalized, you're playing catch up the whole way. And a proper capitalization includes a marketing budget for at least three months prior to opening and three months after you open. And a lot of businesses, again, we're talking about the 80% that are independently owned, people who are doing this as their passion play, not to build the next Orange Theory, they're spending every dollar they have just to open. Right. And one of the things I've seen is that in Orange Theory, like, you know, I I say this term a lot, like experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. And they like nailed that. And they know how how important the pre-sale is. Because if you're a franchisee or if you're a business owner and you open and a month later, you're starting to do transfers from your personal account into your business account, like you failed because- it's painful, and and you, and you start to question yourself. You start to lose some of your confidence. You you start to lose some of your ability to say, okay, can I make a long term decision? Because I'm not in it for the long term right now. I'm in it to make sure, like, I meet payroll I'm this trying month. Trying to survive. Yeah. The number one thing suggestion I would I would share with anyone who is thinking about opening up a studio: save your money before you open a studio. Don't open it. 
uh, before you're ready. And before you're ready means you should have a minimum of three months, preferably six months of your operating budget in the bank before you open. Mm -hmm. The most successful business owners I've met, small business owners in any industry, are people who self-financed from savings, which required them to be successful at their previous job before they opened up their own business, 10, 15 years of savings. Take um, Kelvin Garys, the founder of uh, Body Space Fitness down on 14th Street and uh, in Union Square. Had a chance to interview him about two years ago, and he was talking about his story, being a corporate executive, leaving a six-figure job to become a personal trainer at Equinox, then becoming a manager, and his wife looking at him like he's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you doing? But he's saving, and then when he decided to open up a studio, he had saved, and he had savings to invest in opening up a studio. And he is one of the more successful studio owners I know operating one space. Now he's he's atypical in this space, right? Which I guess is this other point. He has an MBA, mm-hmm. right? So and that's unusual. But what everyone everyone can't get an MBA, but everyone can save. Save more than you think you need. Everything's gonna cost twice as much as people tell you. It's gonna take twice as long. The website's gonna take twice as long mm-hmm. to build. The build out of the space is gonna take twice as long. So you always need more money than you think you do to start. And it's very difficult to catch up. So if you can start properly capitalized and give yourself three months of marketing, you have a chance to be successful. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people kind of rush to the to the entrance of the of the boutique because fitness it's industry. exciting. Yeah, but the reality is, um, yeah, I used to live in Manhattan Beach, so like you kind of watch the waves come in, you know. And I was there's a U two song like every breaking wave, uh, what is it? Every breaking wave it's on the shore tells the next one there'll be one more. So it's like, like if you don't catch it like in the next three months, like wait until you're ready. And right. then like catch the next fitness wave. But I feel like a lot of people are coming in and saying like, I can do a better job than soul cycle. Well, like why one and like, how, what, how are you going to do it? And like, what makes you unique about it? And also, you know, one of the things that's gotten kind of gotten lost in the translation, I was actually reading this, this planet fitness research report yesterday. And it, there's a research analyst over at Jeffries. And he said, planet fitness is like an Amazon platform. Like it's not, it's not a gym. And I'm thinking to myself, like, people go to the gym to get results. Again, I read the entire research report and had not one word about, about fitness. help people lose weight. Right. I'm going after the obesity epidemic. Like, people are, you know, feeling better about themselves. And I'm like, okay, if you want to be, like, the laundromat of the fitness industry, I get that. But, like, at the end of the day, people go to the, the these studios because they want to be able to take the shirt off. They want to feel better. They want to have a, be- you know, a healthier lifestyle. As they, as they get older, they want to be able to get down on the gra- on the, the floor and play with their kids, with the grandkids, and be yeah, able to get exactly. up and nothing so, breaks. So I feel like in, in the boutique studio space, uh, a lot of people are are, are are having their DNA and their marketing. But at the end of the day, like tell people what happens if you come here three or four days a week. Like you are going to change your life. You're going to look better. You're going to feel better. And then those people tell their friends and that kind of creates like this awesome community. And that's why I go back to guided instruction. Right. You know, boutiques are about guided instruction. So we've talked about the challenges for studios that aren't properly capitalized once they open the doors. But the reality is we have thousands of those studios that have their doors open uh, and they're, and they're struggling. So what are we doing about it? Our mission at the boutique fitness summit is to provide proven business methods to those studio owners to help them figure out 
how to build more efficient businesses, how to build profitable businesses. My personal and my business partner's personal missions is to help people live active, pain-free, pill-free lives. Mm-hmm. We've chosen not to be in the front lines actually coaching, teaching, training, but rather to be behind the scenes building a support network that connects studio owners and operators with uh, cutting-edge partners. By partners, I mean the the service providers, the mm-hmm. fit tech companies, the equipment companies. Studio owners need to know who are the best in class of those. That's why we call those companies our partners. And studio owners also need to connect with each other, with, with other studio owners, and to have access to uh, what we call the iconic industry executives, some of the people who are going to be speaking uh, in New York. We have mm-hmm. Amanda Freeman from SLT. We have Kari uh, Sadowitz from Fitting Room. We have uh, Jennifer Manavi from uh, Physique 57, uh, Eric Posner from Swerve. So when you come to the Boutique Fitness Summit, you are learning from some of the most successful people in the industry uh, how they build their businesses, how they're managing their businesses. You're learning about customer acquisition, customer retention, as uh, studio management, staff management. Those are the fundamentals of running a business. So you may not have, have launched it the way you would have liked or the way that you should have from a textbook standpoint, but that ship has sailed. You're here now, and our, our thinking is you can't or a studio owner can't serve its community if it can't stay in business. So mm-hmm. our job is to help them stay in business so they can deliver innovative fitness programming to members of their community so their members can be and live the active life you just talked about. Yeah, one of the uh, interesting parts about going to trade shows, and I was just at a, uh, a, a roundtable uh, with Rex Roundtables yesterday, and there's 18 executives, and they all share all their financial data. And I feel like in this industry – Everyone wants everyone else to succeed and understands that, you know, if we can get 50, 60 percent of the population into all of our locations, it's going to be a gold rush for everyone. In addition to over the next couple of years, uh, hopefully with with our combined efforts, you know, we start getting all these health insurance companies to pay 75 percent of every time I take a class or pay for my health club membership. So So there's some companies working on that. It's coming. There's a company, Jim uh, Farm, working on that. Mm-hmm. That's a whole another podcast. I'm going to encourage you, perhaps, uh, get those guys in here. They they have created a very innovative model that tracks physical activity, and that data is then sent directly to insurance companies and the employers, so the employee can be reimbursed by the by the employer based upon physical movement, which is different mm-hmm. from checking in. Like you can go to Equinox and swipe in and then walk out the door. You right, don't actually right. work. But I want to go back. That was to the only holdup really why these insurance companies says, well, I can't track if you did it, so I'm well, not going to pay it. But now that's changed. So obviously. check out this other company. Um, I want to go back to something you said, though, sure. which is this industry is sharing data with each other and everyone wants to support each other. I think that is true. And I think the biggest missed opportunity within this industry is that, and when I say this industry, I'm talking about the boutique fitness sector now. I think, well, that's not true. I think the entire fitness industry is missing this. One of the things I didn't mention in my my run-up was that I I was also the instructor at the Swedish Institute College Mm -hmm. of Health Sciences. I taught the fitness marketing and management class, and I used the textbook uh, written by... um, uh, Stephen Tharard, who's one of the deans in the fitness management education space. Oh, yeah, sure. Right. And so there is a chart in his textbook that talks about, that breaks out 
the general population into four categories. Only 17% of the population are people who love exercising and go to the gym three days a week. 17% of the population. By far the largest segment of the population, 67% according to the textbook, are people who are indifferent believers. They know that living a healthy life is good for them. They just haven't found something that they love enough to dedicate themselves to. Mm -hmm. 67%. So in my opinion, the vast majority of owners and operators from big box to small studios are spending their time chasing after the same 17%. We could, we, the entire industry benefits if we figure out a way to go after some of the 67% and get them into your classes. And that requires everybody to going back to what's your brand, what do you stand for, Mm -hmm. what makes you special, unique, and extraordinary, how are you delivering superior service, Uh, how are you recruiting top talent. All of that could help the entire industry break the public health crisis curve if you can reach into that right. 67% of the population. Yeah, and I think also, you know, in, in closing here, and it, it really all goes back to marketing and messaging and results, but, you know, if you put out an ad with, uh, you know, eight Victoria's Secret models on the front, like you're not going to get the deconditioned person to walk in there because it's intimidating. So like, go after and make it accessible Exactly, and, and tell people you're going to change their lives. I belong to a big box in Manhattan, and I never see an, over, an overweight person there. Yeah. Never. So, I know. We got, we, we got work to do. Well, this, uh, this podcast has been sponsored by the letter W for winning. So I want to see everybody at the BFS Summit. April 26, New York City. We will be there. We will be moderating event and uh, a sponsor of this great cause. So come out. We're going to help you win. See you soon. Julian, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome.